Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 22 this morning. According to a Pew Research study from 2023, 88% of parents said that their children's financial stability and job satisfaction are extremely important to them, while only 20% agreed that their children getting married and starting a family was very important. In the same study, 94% of parents said it is very important their children be honest and ethical, 88% that their children be hardworking, 81% that they help others in need, 80% that their children accept people different from them, 65% that their children are ambitious, while only 35% said it is very important their children share the same religious beliefs. Now, there's a lot we could unpack there, like, honestly, what hope does our culture have if the very foundation of our society, marriage and family, is so shockingly undervalued? That's not where we're going today. Uh, What I want to highlight is rather how so few parents seem to be concerned about passing on their religious beliefs to their children. Uh, Only one-third thinking that that is something that is very important. Thankfully, when looking more at the specifics of the study, 70% of self-identifying evangelical Protestant parents said passing on their beliefs is very important to them. But that still leaves 30% of Christians, 30% in churches like ours, who do not put much value on passing on a Christian worldview to the next generation. And that's a concerning statistic. 30% of this group here could not think that's really all that important. How can that be? How can so many believers put so little emphasis on their children sharing their beliefs? Well, as we continue along in our sermon series this morning through Hebrews 11, we're going to see how four famous Old Testament saints, who I'm sure you're familiar with, had no greater concern than that their children share the same beliefs as they do. How Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the the patriarchs of the people of Israel, made it their priority to pass on the promises of God to the next generation. And something that they did by faith, by taking God at his word and acting accordingly as parents and grandparents. You remember those two words, by faith, show up 18 times in chapter 11. That's why this is often referred to as the hall of faith. Like a a hall of fame that lists noteworthy individuals from modern history and their secular achievements in order to inspire future generations to do the same. This Hebrews hall of faith lists noteworthy individuals from biblical history and their spiritual achievements in order to inspire future Christians to do the same with verse 17 to 22 specifically inspiring us to pass on the promises of God by faith to ensure that the next generation shares the same religious beliefs just like they did something we'll now see first of all in the example of Abraham starting in verse 17 so we read there by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac 
And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering, excuse me, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So two weeks ago, you'll remember in verses 8 to 10, we saw how Abraham and Sarah had left their home country in order to go to a land they had never been to before because they believed God's promise. God's promise in Genesis 12 and 15. That one day their descendants would possess this land forever. We then saw in verses 11 to 12 that despite old age, they also received a son by faith. According to God's promise in Genesis 17 and 18. And that then was fulfilled in Genesis 21. Well, after a pause last week in Hebrews 11, 13 to 16, where the author wanted to focus in on that pilgrim mentality that Abraham had, we're now back to Abraham again in verse 17 and 19 with a summary of what happened next in Genesis 22. The infamous story of how God tested Abraham by telling him to offer up Isaac, his only son born of Sarah. So keeping your finger in Hebrews 11, turn with me to Genesis 22. We'll we'll read the original recording of the event, or at least part of it. So Genesis 22, uh, starting right away in, in verse 1. We read there, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, can you imagine the, the anguish in Abraham's heart as they walked to that place of sacrifice? God asking him to give up what he loved most. As well as just the, the confusion of it all. Why would God promise him a son, give him a son, tell him through that son and that son only will he make them into a great nation And then out of nowhere, command him to sacrifice that son. It makes no sense. Yet despite the confusing implications and the deep personal cost, we read that by faith, again, Abraham obeyed. Just as he'd done earlier when leaving everything he knew to sojourn into a land he did not know. That didn't make sense either. Nevertheless, Abraham simply took God at his word and acted accordingly, leaving the reason and the results up to God. And that is ultimately what it looks like to have faith in God. Leaving the reason and the results for what God commands of us in his hands and simply obeying, trusting him with the rest. As Richard Coakin points out in his book on Hebrews 11, Faith for Life, he writes this. It's a great summary of what we just read. Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac illustrates how faith has always enabled God's people to do things that seem contradictory to our own logic because we trust that God knows best. 
For example, Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This sounds nonsensical. How can giving away our life to Jesus mean we save it? There are many things in the Bible that sound confusing unless we have faith to trust that God knows better than us. It's a bit like obeying an experienced ski instructor who will tell you that on a steep, icy mountain slope, you must do the opposite of what feels sensible. Everything in your terrified mind makes you want to lean towards the hill, but this makes your skis slide away. You have to learn to trust the ski instructor and lean away from the hill, which surprisingly keeps your skis cutting into the mountain slope to keep you safe. At first, this feels frightening and confusing, but you have to trust the instructor. In the same way, faith enables us to obey God's word even if it seems confusing or impossible. Now, that doesn't mean that Abraham's obedience was irrational. No, as we read on, the author tells us that Abraham's faith in God's promise was so strong, he reasoned that God would raise Isaac from the dead. So keeping your finger in Genesis, go back to Hebrews 11, verse 19. It says this, he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, what a powerful example of faith. Abraham had such faith in God's promises That the only logical conclusion was that if he allowed Abraham to kill his son, well, God would have to raise him up. Because God had said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And God always, always keeps his word. This was a, a settled faith that we see not only in Hebrews 11, but also back again in Genesis 22. Notice in verse 5 what it says. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham was confident. He was going up the mountain with his son and whatever happened there, he was coming back with his son. And so by faith, he obeyed God. And sure enough, that's exactly What happened? We read on in verse 9 of Genesis 22. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now just imagine the impact all of that must have had on Isaac and his faith in God's promises. My father was so sure that God was going to make a great nation out of me, keeping his word, that he was ready to sacrifice me, 
trusting that God would even raise me from the dead. In a sense, he did, by sparing my life that last moment providing the ram. Now, how could I not also trust God like dad did? How could I not also live by faith in his promises? Church, there's no more powerful way to pass on a biblical worldview than when we live by faith before our children. When we obey Christ's commands, even when they don't make sense, even when we don't fully understand, even when it requires sacrifice, even when it costs the things we love, because we too believe in God's promises, not least that he will one day raise us from the dead. You can imagine a child with with parents like that saying, "My, my parents were so sure that if they sought first the kingdom of God and and his righteousness, he was going to take care of everything else. And he did, over and over again, as they obeyed God's commands, often sacrificing the things they loved in order to serve Christ and serve his church faithfully. Sometimes paying a high cost to truly love God and love their neighbor as themselves, even, even willing to risk their reputation, their safety, their job, their lives for the sake of the gospel. Now, how could I not also trust in such a God as they did? How could I not live by faith in these big promises that directed my parents' lives as they lived by faith? It's the same phenomena of faith that we sing in that old hymn. Faith of our fathers living still in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. Oh, how our hearts beat high with joy whene'er we hear the glorious word. Our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free, and blessed would be their children's fate if they like them should die for thee. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. What a blessing it is to the next generation when this generation lives by faith. When this generation obeys God's commands, however confusing, whatever the consequences, because we are confident, like Abraham was, in the promises of God. A confidence that not surprisingly then was transmitted to his son, Isaac, as we read on in verse 20. So back in Hebrews 11, keep your finger in Genesis. We'll be back there. But Hebrews 11, verse 20, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, that's not a lot of information. But it's enough to get the author's point across that like his father, Isaac believed God's promises to their family in Genesis 12 about being blessed as a great nation in their land and being a blessing to all the nations of the world. He too, as we saw in verse 1, had the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Like Abraham and Sarah in verse 11, he considered him faithful who had promised. And so we read here at the end of his life, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, his sons, even though he had not received any of those blessings himself in his lifetime. We read about all this in in Genesis 27, if you want to go back to Genesis with me. 
where Isaac blessed first Jacob, the younger son. You probably know the story because he had tricked his father. And yet in the end, this was all working out according to God's will. And so in Genesis 27, 26 to 29, first, we see him bless Jacob. Verse 26, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelt the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son. It is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now Isaac then in verse 39 to 40 spoke to Esau, informing him of the loss of his inheritance, though he also gave the provision that he would not always serve his younger brother. Okay, but then in Genesis 28, we see Isaac bless Jacob once more, just before Jacob fled the fury of Esau. And again, he uses language that God had previously promised in Genesis 12 to the family, the descendants of Abraham. So in, in Genesis 28, verses 3 to 4, this is the, the second blessing. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now, this is so significant. Imagine you're Jacob and you just tricked your father into giving you the blessing that was reserved for your older brother, your older brother who is now planning to... Well, kill you, probably, <laughs> the moment that your father passes away. So now you need to flee for your life. You need to go find safety in a distant land with your uncle. Okay, that's the big mess you're in. And yet right before you go, your elderly father blesses you, completely confident that you are not only going to survive your bloodthirsty brother's revenge, but you are going to be fruitful and multiply. You are going to become a great nation who will one day possess the promised land exactly as God had said to Abraham. That would leave a mighty impression. Such unshakable faith in God's promises that for, for Isaac, even when his family was a mess, even when he had been foolishly tricked by his son, even when his kids had had a falling out with each other that might never be fixed, he nevertheless blessed Jacob, trusting in the promises of God. And that is a sure way to pass on your religious beliefs to the next generation as well. No matter how much you or, or your spouse or your kids mess everything up, you never lose faith in the promises of God. You trust with all your heart that the Lord can make things right again. He can reconcile your family with each other. Most importantly, he can reconcile your family to God, to himself, if they too believe in his son. And so, resting on those promises in the family mess... 
By faith, you then invoke those blessings on them. You assure your children with the word of God that he will give them every spiritual blessing now and forever if they share the same faith as you do. If they too would cling to the promises of the gospel of Christ. Like Isaac, no matter how much of a mess there is, you point them to the promises of God. Such as those right here in in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. When like Isaac, we cling to those promises no matter what, what a difference that makes on the next generations. Well, that takes us now to Jacob in verse 21 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, though Jacob may not have fully understood God's promises to his family, or even had faith when Isaac gave his blessing, We know for sure at the end of his life, he was absolutely confident in these promises. In fact, when dying, we read here, his only concern was to pass on these promises. And he did. To his 12 sons, as we read in Genesis 49, but also to his two grandsons, to Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. And we see that in Genesis 48. You can turn back to Genesis There, 48. And as we see, he too, interestingly enough, favored the youngest. Likely showing what he himself experienced, but also that God's promises to them come not by human lineage, but according to God's plans and his grace. So in Genesis 48, 14 to 16, we read about him blessing these sons of Joseph, these grandchildren. And Israel, that was the other name for Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys." And in them let my name be carried on, in the name of my father Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Again, we see the language of Genesis 12, where God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. Along with the, the language of Genesis 22:17, where God said, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. Yeah, notice the emphasis here in Hebrews 11. It's not so much on the promise itself, but on the person who trusted in the promise. And particularly how he was weak and dying. So you can imagine this old man, Jacob, crouched over, leaning on his staff near death. 
At the beginning of Genesis 48, it says he had been sick in bed. But nevertheless, he would not die, and he could not die before he blessed his children, all of them, passing on the promises of God that meant more to him than anything else, even life itself. Like his father, Jacob did not receive any of these promises. In fact, it would be 500 years after Jacob's death that the Jews would start to take possession of the promised land. But despite that, his faith was sure. He too had the assurance of things hoped for. And so bowing in worship before God, he blessed his sons by faith in God which again would have made such an incredible impact on them. You can just hear them afterwards thinking, surely, surely these things matter. Surely these promises can be trusted. Surely God is is worthy to be worshipped. If in the face of death, this is what my father, this is what my grandfather is focused on. You know, I've had the, the great privilege of many times being in Uh, a hospital room with extended family as their parent or grandparent lies there dying. And I have seen firsthand the great impact on a family when that parent or that grandparent dies well by faith. Clinging to the promises of God, speaking of Christ to their family, looking forward to heaven, saying, all I want to do is glorify God in my life and in my death. What an eternal impact that makes on a family to see such faith in their parent, their grandparent till the end. In fact, on one or two occasions, I have been there, well, a loved one is about to die and I've seen them bless their children and grandchildren, asking the Lord to to pour out his grace to them and save them, to preserve their faith, to keep them from temptation, to bring only glory to God in their lives. And those kids and grandkids never forget. Just as Jacob's sons and grandsons would never forget the blessing of their father, their grandfather, as he was dying. Saying, if you remember anything else, remember this. And it's something all of us who are parents, or grandparents, or great-grandparents would do well to consider. What kind of an impact will not only my life, but my death make on my family? How can I die well in faith? Blessing my family, even in my final days, like Jacob did. And finally, like his son, Joseph, the final example in our text. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. You know, so much could be said about the enduring faith of Joseph. From Genesis 37 to 50, we see one example after another of how he trusted God. How he trusted God in great trouble and in great triumph. 
whether he was being sold by his brothers into slavery or becoming the second in command over all Egypt, his confidence in God never failed. He relied on God's presence and on God's providence. In it all, he was trusting in God's good purpose and good plans through the ups and through the downs. And that's why, and and turn back to Genesis one more time, the, the last chapter, Genesis 50. This is why he could say this to his brothers who had sold him into slavery after his father died. They thought, this is it. He's going he's gonna to kill us. Instead, he says this. You've heard it before. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What a powerful statement of faith in God. Though he endured unbelievable evil at the hands of his own family, he nevertheless believed that God was in control and that God ordained it to happen for a greater good according to his sovereign will. Friends, do we have such faith in God? Are we that confident in his goodness and wisdom? When we endure evil, do we say by faith like Joseph, God means it for good? Or do we immediately question his goodness and his perfect purposes in unbelief? I've always found the words of faith from Johnny Erickson taught us so very inspiring. If you know anything about her, she has suffered greatly in her life since a teenager, a a diving accident, becoming a quadriplegic, experiencing chronic pain her whole life. Then, five years ago, diagnosed with cancer on top of it all. Nevertheless, God using her to impact for the gospel hundreds of thousands, millions of people all over the world so that she famously has said, sometimes God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. By faith, she was able to look past her suffering and her struggles and trust in the goodness of God. And that's exactly what Joseph had done. But interestingly enough, this is not what's highlighted here in verse 22 of Hebrews. Rather, it's Joseph's unwavering confidence in God's promises to his family from Genesis 12 and on uh, that really puts, is put forward here as, as the greatest example of his faith. So, so though Joseph lived most of his life in Egypt, and then brought his family there with him, he believed in all of his heart that one day his descendants would leave Egypt and live in the promised land. In fact, what we see here is he was so sure that God would keep his word to them, it says he made mention of the Exodus and gave direction concerning his bones. Another powerful statement of faith. Though he would have 
barely remembered the land of his childhood, Joseph had no doubt this is where his family was ultimately headed. And so at the end of his life, this is what he talked about. As we read at the end of Genesis 50 as well, verse 24 to 26. And Joseph said to his his brothers, his family, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Commenting on these events and summing it up well, uh, Warren Wearsby observed, the faith of Joseph was certainly remarkable. After the way his family treated him, you would think he would have abandoned his faith. But instead, it grew stronger. Even the ungodly influence of Egypt did not weaken his trust in God. Joseph did not use his family, his job, or his circumstances as an excuse for unbelief. Joseph knew what he believed, that God would one day deliver his people from Egypt. Joseph also knew where he belonged, in Canaan, not in Egypt. So he made them promise to carry his remains out of Egypt at the Exodus, and they did. We read about it in Exodus 13 and Joshua 24, how the people of Israel, his descendants, did bring his bones back. Why? Because Joseph had passed on those promises of God to them by faith. And church, when we demonstrate the same assurance of things hoped for, we too will powerfully pass down the promises of God to the next generation. When when we are dying and we tell our family, now here's what I want you to do. Everything that I have, use it for gospel ministry. Use it for the mission of the church. And at my funeral, don't you dare make it about me. Make it about Christ. Make it about the gospel. Make it about the promise of eternal life for everyone. And when I die and you place me in that grave, don't grieve as others do without hope, but grieve in faith that one day I will be raised from the dead. When we live by faith like that to the end of our lives, However hard life has been, like it was for Joseph, our children, our grandchildren will no doubt be inspired, will be impacted to do the same. In another recent 2023 survey, it was found that 82% of Protestant Christian parents had teens who also identified as Christian. That's an encouraging result, despite the fact that only one-third see that as very important. While a slightly older survey found that 79% of adults who were raised in a Protestant Christian evangelical home remained that way. Also an encouraging result, which just further illustrates what we've just seen in this morning text, that parents can pass on their religious belief. That parents, grandparents, grandparents do pass on them generally, even when many don't think it's that important. But friends, the way that we can most ensure that happens 
is if we live before our children by faith, taking God at his word and acting accordingly, even if it's confusing at times, even if it costs us everything. As Martin Luther once wrote, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. Well, church, may we now show that very kind of faith, that bold confidence in the promises of God to our children in life and in death, just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph did, so that God's promises to believers in Christ will be accepted by the next generation, which I hope is extremely important to each of us, the most important thing. We will not hide them from our children, but let the coming generation know the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Let's pray. Lord, again, we're so thankful for this study that we're going through in Hebrews 11, learning what it means to live by faith. And here today, as we've seen how by faith these patriarchs of of Israel were able to pass on the promises of God to the next generation. And certainly, Lord, that is what we desire as well. Lord, our children are such a treasure. And we pray, Father, we plead with you, Father, that we would live by faith in such a way that they would come to treasure Christ more than anything. And that they would believe with all that they are, no matter if it might be at times confusing, no matter the cost it may require, to also live by faith in you and in your Son in whom we have redemption. We know this is only possible by your grace. So pour out your grace upon us that we might be found faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.